Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning. Today I want to talk to you and focus on an area that gets us all in trouble at one time or another. Has anybody ever got yourself in trouble? Raise your hand, you got yourself in trouble, okay? And usually we get in trouble because of our mouse. How many can agree? How many have ever said something that you wish you didn't say? Or how many have ever said something that you're really glad you said it, but how you said it, you wish it would have been just a little bit different? Or how many have even said something and you're glad that you said it, but the way you looked when you said it wasn't really the most look of love? Okay, so anyway, I want to talk about the dangers today of murmuring and complaining. I know that none of us have this problem at WCF, so maybe we can actually just listen and possibly take what we learn and give it to somebody else that really needs it. Okay, anybody here ever guilty of murmuring or complaining? Okay, we won't ask about the U.S. elections. We won't ask about the Liberal Party. We won't ask about Justin right now. We'll hit that maybe at another point in the service, okay? But actually, it's almost hilarious what we oftentimes murmur about. So turn in your Bible to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to talk a little bit about attitudes in here. How many have ever asked God to help you? God, help me to change. Anybody ever pray that? God, I need you. Okay, and then guess what? Oftentimes he will give Pastor Rick and Kathy or Pastor RJ and Mary something that is the answer to your problem. And then Pastor Rick and Kathy will go and share, but we don't know what your issue is. We just know what's on our heart to share, and then we go and share it, and you get mad at us. So we ask God to give us a raise. We ask God to give us a promotion. And so, you know what? That's not a bad thing. So God gives you a raise and a promotion, and along with it comes a little more responsibility, and then we claim about the more responsibility. We we complain. Come on. Or we ask God to, to give us children, and then after he gives us children, we complain about the children the rest of our lives. Okay, and then we have another issue out there. We ask God for a new car. So God, in his grace, gives us a new car, and then we complain about how far we have to drive to church or how high gas prices are. Or we pray for a spouse, and then God gives you a spouse. And then you don't like the little things that they do that irritate you. Hey, listen very carefully. If they're not irritating you, then you probably got the wrong one. That went over very well. Thank you for your, uh, your affirmation. Because how many know we all have little petty areas in our lives? And we don't deliberately try to irritate one another, but we do things differently because we are different. It's amazing how the thing that was different about you attracted that other person to you. And then after they come to you, you wanted them to be like you. <laughs> Control freak. Okay. We... <laughs> We pray for a good Bible-believing, family-orientated, non-compromising, non-clickish church, and he sends you to WCF, and you complain about WCF or something going on in WCF. And if you can't complain about anything in WCF, you complain about the shirts I wear. 
How many know in life, real life, the reality is there's always something to complain about because we live in an imperfect world because we're imperfect people. The enemy will always, and this is something I believe that he's very busy at, will always make certain that you have plenty of opportunities to grumble, to find faults, to be discontent about something. How many can relate right now? I mean, just, just look at this weekend. Just, just look at what's going on, okay? I'm not going to be here and take sides on anything or get into that. I'm, I'm smarter than that. Come on. But the reality is there's a lot of discontent and a lot of whining and a lot of murmuring. And if we don't recognize it comes from every front that we're in today. I found out that everybody has an opinion about something, and I found out that, that people oftentimes will speak their opinion but if somebody else says what they say is different than yours, then they get vehemently affected and upset at you because of your opinion. What I've learned over the years is a whiner and a complainer and a murmurer is very well schooled in whining, complaining, and murmuring. It becomes second nature to them. They don't, they don't have to think about it at all. They just, they just know how to do it. The greatest challenge for each one of us in here is how to be positive and optimistic in the midst of a negative-inspired society and world that we live in. But Jesus lived in that. Come on now. And they found fault with everything that he did, but yet he never lost his peace. He never lost what God's assignment was. He kept his focus, and he never lost his gratitude. Amen? Because I believe, I'm going to be hitting this all the way through, I believe the only antidote to discontentment, to grumbling and murmuring, is one thing and it's called gratefulness. Because what I've learned over the years is that you cannot grumble and complain if you're actually really appreciative of something. Now I got everybody's attention now, okay? Okay, are we ready? Philippians chapter two, let me ask you a question. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? You can answer and say yes. Is there any comfort from his love? Philippians chapter two, verse number one. Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Okay, let me ask you another. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? No, nobody said yeah. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes. Okay, let's go to verse number two. Keep going right down. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Come on. So how many know we got to be together to work together, if we're gonna, and we have to also have one mind and one purpose. And then he tells you the antidote for that. Come on, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Let me state something. You've heard me say this. I shared this with the leaders in India. How many know that, listen, God never tells you to do something that he doesn't do himself. So if God says that to esteem, to think of others more highly than your own self, how many know God thinks of you more highly than your own self? You say God thinks of me more highly than himself? That's exactly right. Why? Because he's so secure in who he is. Come on. Go to the next verse. Going to go right down over there. Don't look out for your own, only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And you must have. Okay, I love this here in verse number five. You must. How many know must means there's no options? It's an imperative. So you must, this is something very important to God, and it says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
So let me ask you a question. Does the Bible say that Jesus had an attitude? And so does the Bible, if it says he had an attitude, then how many know we all have an attitude? So he says, I want the attitude that Christ had to be the attitude that you have. Can I summarize what the attitude of Christ is? Christ didn't come around trying to impress anybody. But Christ did come to impact and to change the world. Christ didn't come to be served, but Christ came to serve. Christ didn't come to tell us how important he was, but he came to share how important you and I were. Can you all say amen? Christ didn't come to discourage anybody, but he came to encourage them and pick them up. Christ didn't listen. He had them ask questions to him. Why? Because not that he didn't know it, but he wanted them to ask questions. Why? Because he paid attention to the audience and the people that were around him. It's the same advice that the older gentleman gave King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, when he came the successor after Solomon had died. So let's go right on over here. So you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. How many know the death that he died was unjust? How many know it was a wicked death? It was an abusive death. It wasn't a fair death. Come on. But that's the same attitude that God wants us to have. Therefore, in light of that, God exalted him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And everybody said, so how many know that's the favorite verse of many Christians? Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that he's Lord. How many know Satan himself will confess that he's Lord? How many know all the demons will confess that he's Lord on the last day? Come on. We all know that, but he doesn't stop there. Dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence. Come on, and what else? And fear, not this kind of fear, but a reverence, respectful fear. For God is working in you. Isn't that hope for all of us? Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So let me just ask you a question for a moment. If God's given you the desires, and God's given you the power, which is the word ability, to do what pleases him, then apparently there are some things that please him, and apparently there are some things that displease him. Okay, let me just give you one right now. But apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. So how many know, how many know our whining isn't going to please God, but our faith is going to please God? That's going to position you and bring you into agreement with everything heaven is saying and doing, okay? So, so how many know, listen, the Bible says, let us offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. And, and how many know that's a sacrifice that connects with God? A lot of people think everything's all done, everything's all there. Well, Christ, yes, it's all done positionally in Christ, but the Bible also just told you a moment ago that we don't work for our salvation, but we need to work out our salvation. So God's working in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let's go on. Do everything, come on, without... Everybody look at somebody and tell them that. 
What does do mean? What does the word do mean? Do means to fulfill an action to the place of completion. Everything means all things of importance. It also means most important, extremely important. And then the word without literally means over here in the absence or omission of something. And then complain means expressing dissatisfaction, pain, censure, uneasiness, grief, or resentment. Or it literally means to find fault. And the word murmur means a low, continuous sound of discontent, grudgingly, a feeling of ill will or resentment. Arguing means disputes, contention, and an oral disagreement. And it even means arguing vehemently. So let me ask you this here question, number one. How many want to please God? If we want to please God, then there's an ability already working in us to do everything without complaining. Let me tell you what it didn't say. It didn't say that you're going to agree with everything. And it didn't say you had to agree with everything. But how many know you can disagree with something? Come on. You can disagree with something, and it's not a complaint. But when you get into the complaining, it's a whining, and it's an undertone that just murmurs about things, just whines about things, but there's never no answers. There's never no result. There's never no change. And then what happens is you get two of them together, and then it spreads, and after you get three together, because I've learned something about the discontentment, it's never satisfied in staying alone. It always needs an expression to someone else. So let's go to a little test today. I put a little one together, and I have a few things that I just want to share on this, and I'll wind down in the next two hours. So how many believe that we can have a positive attitude or we can have a negative attitude? And listen carefully. What what we can all learn is an optimistic person. If we're going to learn of the attitude of Jesus, how many know Jesus never allowed himself to go into depression? The only time he was heavy was when he took the sins of the whole world on himself. And he was heavy with the burden of sins, but he didn't walk around with the the, the spirit of depression. He, He wasn't into that. Come on. But listen, he was very, very positive. He gave hope where there was no hope. An optimist is a person who always hopes for the best, never gives up in a challenge, and an optimist does his best to get things done by some means or other. Can you all say amen? So an optimist is one they don't quit. An optimist is one that cannot easily be subdued. He's one that doesn't quit when the push comes to shove. He's one that even in the midst of the fire will continue to believe, continue to hope, continue to rest in God's faithfulness, and continue to stand on the word. A pessimist is the person who always thinks, uh, thinks about the worst. Unlike an optimist who tries to succeed, even a difficult situation, a pessimist does not. And, and what happens, this makes him give up all challenges very, very easily. In other words, when push comes to shove, they just want to throw in the towel. They want to blame everybody else for their life. They want to blame the government. They want to blame the church. They want to blame this person. They want to blame their spouse. They want to blame their kids. They want to blame their boss. They always are characterized by the blame game. Good preaching. Thanks for the shouts. So we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to do an attitude list over here. But before we do that, has anybody ever had an exciting day inside of your life? And you're just pumped about maybe you're going on a vacation in a few days. I know just before Kathy and I went to, 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 to India, I was so happy that I got packed. I didn't have any time, but I'm just getting packed. And so I was all pumped, all excited about going over there. So has anybody having an exciting day 
And then something happens, somebody says something, somebody does something, and it's all your excitement gets quenched. I want to give you an example over there. There was a woman that she had a hairdresser, and she was getting her hair styled for a trip to Rome with her husband that they were so excited about and had planned for many, many years, and it was a dream. And she mentioned the trip to the woman that was working on her hair to her hairdresser. And I tell you right now, it wasn't Natasha, it wasn't Diane, it wasn't Jen. All right, just so you guys know, okay? And, and so the hairdresser responded, and she says, Rome, why would anybody want to go there? It's crowded, it's dirty, okay? You're crazy to go to Rome, so how, you know, how are you going to get there? And she says, well, I'm taking uh, Continental Airlines. They have a, had a sale on, and we got a really, really, Continental Airlines, don't you know that they got these old, these old planes, it's all junky, and what are you going to do for 13 hours up in the air, and what's going to go on over there, and just negative against it, and you know what, and, and it's the worst of all the airlines, you're not even going to get a good seat or anything else. And then she said something else that was very, very interesting, where are you staying? And she says, well, uh, on the Tiber River, we got this place called Testy. It's an incredible hotel that's one of the most, oh, that place, I've heard so many people talk. It's a dump, it's a dive. It's the worst, worst thing ever. Come on, you don't want to go to that. Change it, talk to your traveling, and get, it's the worst place ever. And so this lady's in the chair, and it's like, man, I want to get out of this place. And then and she said this here, she said, uh, the next thing is, and, and we're going to the Vatican and we're gonna go see the Pope. Yeah, like you're gonna see the Pope, eh? Okay, she laughed and she said, there are millions of other people also trying to see him and he's gonna look like the size of the ant because that's how close you're gonna get to the Pope. Boy, good luck on your lousy trip because you're gonna need it. So anyway, a month later, the woman comes back from the hair salon and she had an absolutely stupendous, amazing trip when she was over there. As a matter of fact, it, she said it was wonderful, explained the woman, not only were we on time with Continental's brand new plane, but it was actually overbooked and they actually bumped us into first class. And the food and service was amazing and they even had a good looking 28-year-old waiter that took care of us the whole time. And the hotel was great, man. They just put a $5 million renovation into the hotel. It was just the most amazing thing that ever happened. And she said, really? And then, and then she says, well, I know one for sure that didn't happen was, surely you didn't see the ball. And she says, you know what really happened? She says, it was so amazing. She says, there was the, the Swiss guard was there, and they pulled a group of us in, and they said the Pope would like to actually meet you people. And so he set aside a room. And so, and the hairdresser was just like, like, what? And so we walked in, and then the Pope came over, and she says, I actually kneeled down, and he actually said something to me. And the hairdresser says, well, well, what did he say to you? Well, who gave you that lousy haircut? <laughs> There's a spiritual law that is actually, I, I love studying laws. I love studying the law of faith. I love studying natural laws and parallel natural laws oftentimes with spiritual laws. There's the universal law, whatever it is that you focus on, it's called the universal law, and it's called the law of attraction. Whatever it is that you focus your attention on is what becomes a magnet and it's drawn into your life. 
It's, it's amazing when you, when you study this, but there's also a law called the law of the garbage truck. And you'll never forget this one, okay? Many people are like garbage trucks. Now, just think about that. What do you put in a garbage truck? How would you like to take all that garbage out and then just open up the bags after they've been in there for a week? Mine had been there for three weeks, okay? Three weeks, because before we left, I, anyway, to make a long story short, with the holiday, I didn't put it out. And so when you have parties every night, you got 12 bags of garbage in the Shamatero garage right now. But it's going to go out tomorrow night. Come on now. And when it goes out, thanks be to God, the garbage guy will be there first thing around 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning. On Tuesday morning, he'll pick it up and it's out. But how many would like to open up all that garbage and just take a whiff? Ah, what a smell. Oh, man, this is so pleasant. This is such an odor. Come on. Now, I'm going somewhere with that. But here's what I've learned. The, the law of the garbage truck, okay, is individuals that actually run around full of garbage, full of their frustration, full of their anger, full of their disappointment, full of their resentment, full of their bitterness. And as the garbage piles up, they look for more places to dump it. And if you let them, they'll dump it on you. So when someone wants to dump something on you, don't take it personally. Just kind of smile at them, wave at them and say, man, I ain't going near that. And your life will be much happier. So let's just look at this for a few moments before I start the message. And, 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 and what's our attitude like? I want to ask that there question because I'm going to be going in a lot of directions today that I believe is going to be fruitful and is going to help you. How many got something already out of this, okay? So if it says do all things without murmuring and complaining, then how many know there's a grace given to your life and my life to do all things? See, I'm going to just tell you a few things, okay, is how many know there'll always be something to complain about? You can always find it. If you, if you look hard enough, you will definitely find it. But I've learned every single person, when the children of Israel came out of the Red Sea, every one of them, there was not one feeble one, there was not one sick one, there was not one diseased one that came out of the whole lot. How many can say that's a pretty good record? For over three million people, that's a really good record. And then what happened out there were they thankful? No, the first thing they began to do when they came to Mara, an 11-day journey, according to Deuteronomy 1.11, it says it was, it was an 11-day journey to get to the place where they're going to cross over into the promised land, but it took them 40 years. So why did it take them 40 years? Because the whining, complaining spirit, and the Bible actually says that when they did that, they were destroyed by the destroyer. So the main reason that I have learned and really intently have studied the book of Numbers and studied the book of Corinthians, the number one reason that murmuring goes on in my life and in your life is because we're unthankful. Number one, above everything else, is ingratitude. It hits our life. When we are murmuring and we are complaining, and I'll put myself in there, we're focusing in on the negative. A complainer always focuses on the negative. Instead of thanking God for what they do have, they complain about what they don't have. Instead of focusing on how fair God is, we focus on how unfair life is, and then we put God in the middle and we blame God for the thing. 
I've recognized some things that our attitude reveals really what's inside of our hearts. And God says the attitude that Christ had is the attitude that he desires each one of us to have. When someone's child gets into trouble, and we said my child would never do something like that. How many, sadly enough, have said in your life that I would never do that, and then ended up doing the thing that you said you never do? Come on now, anybody ever been there? Peter, I'm sure, wasn't, uh, you know, he said, you know, though they all deny you, Jesus, I never deny you, man. I'll lay my life, I'd die for you. And, and, and then how many know Jesus said it ain't gonna happen, and then he did what he said he would never do. And then he even cussed and swore. Peter, the great founder of the church. When Christians backslide and we are quick to point out the finger, or do we sincerely try to reach them with Christ's compassion to pick them back up? When we see someone make the wrong decision and we know what the consequences will be, do we write them actually off? I remember one time an individual, uh, I did everything within my ability to advise this person not to go in this direction, not to make this purchase, everything within me, not to, and they did it anyway. And then when everything went wrong and ended up putting this person in incredible debt, come on, and then buried them, lost joy and everything else, how many know it's hard just to shut up? How many know sometimes you want to say, see, I told you you shouldn't have done that. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking. If you don't know what I'm talking, it's okay, all right? So anyway, how many, how many remember this here? The father knew the decision that the prodigal was, was making. And he knew the consequences that he was making, but yet the father still was optimistic that this son is going to hit rock by and this son is going to come back home. This thing is going to turn around. And the father, it said, when the son was coming, was actually on the road waiting because he had a confident expectation that the child was going to return. So if that's true, then guess what? How are we when these things happen, when someone else wants to share in a conversation, but because we're so busy talking, nobody can get a word in anyway? We have to ask ourselves again, why? How are we when asked to do a job that might not be the most pleasant job, but beneficial for the bigger picture, and how this could be an avenue that God can use to bring what's in his hand into our lives, but how's our attitude? And then how about this one? How is our countenance or our facial expression towards someone who may have a different opinion on something yet your opinion is the only right one. In other words, today, today, you share your opinion, and if somebody disagrees with your opinion, they're damned and going to hell. You're wrong, and everybody else is right. And so you go and share what you feel, and it might be different what they feel, and then if they don't nail you in their words, they'll nail you by their look or they'll nail you by their sarcasm. And it's really, really sad. I'm gonna to get to a few points over here, so just hang on. And then another question is, how is your attitude when someone else gets a promotion, someone else gets a raise, someone else gets the job you thought that you should have had, how's your attitude when someone else gives something to someone else and then they get blessed? I've recognized over here that we rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. 
What does that mean, Matt? We are partaking. We actually can come alongside somebody in their pinnacle moments, but we also can come along them in their pain. How's your attitude when the sinner, the wicked, and the evil person actually seems to get blessed and you're looking at this and saying, but I tithe, I serve God, I'm faithful, and why are they getting this and I'm not? And then how's your, and boy, it's really quiet in here. I can feel so much love right now. Okay, how is your attitude towards God when things don't go the way you think they should have? And do you have an attitude towards God today of distrust, of anger, or even mad at God and disappointed? And if you really examine deep within inside your life, you say, yeah, I am. I felt that God, he, he didn't come through for me. I felt God this here and this and that. We just got to be honest and look at what's really going in on the inside. But I will tell you this here, God is not the problem. God is the solution. And the enemy is the master at twisting the character of God, the nature of God, the goodness of God, and the point to blame at God. Well, he permitted it. He allowed it. No, God didn't permit anything. God didn't allow anything. We did because God's entrusted the authority to mankind to make the decision today. Remember, it's whatever we bind, God's going to back in heaven. Whatever we loose, God's going to loose. And if you're binding the wrong things and loosing the wrong things, then you wonder why it's the situation. There's a whole message on that, on the dominion mandate that was restored back from the time of Adam, but we'll get that at another point, okay? Uh, quickly, how is your attitude towards teenagers? Do we stereotype them all and make blanket judgments on all of them and their character? How is our attitude towards other churches? Do we judge them without facts, never met them, but have an attitude towards them? Or have we given in to what society is saying today? Well, you know what? They're just structured and God's against organized religion. Well, just for the record, what does that mean? Well, God's against anything organized. We just want the Holy Spirit to move. Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit can move, but I also believe that God's word tells you, let everything be done decently and let everything be done in an orderly fashion. And if you understand what decently and orderly mean, there has to be some structure of some kind. Jesus did not live an unorganized life. He had a very disciplined life and a very structured life. Come on now. And he worked within the structure that the father and said, I only do the things that my father says for me to do, which is a structure. Can you say amen? But people make blanket judgments at any time. And what's happened now is because they make those their statements like that, anything to do with organized coming together, they feel that we don't need to do anymore. And so they believe we could just have a church at home. They believe we can just have us four and no more. And the Bible even warns about the coming of the Lord Jesus. It said, not forsaking the assembling as the manner of some is, and all the more so as the day of the Lord approaches. And they said, well, we just meet in our homes. Well, that's great. They met in the homes, but they also met in the tabernacle. So you can't just pick it. Christianity is in the cafeteria, but what concerns me more about anything else is the attitude that's coming against it is that of lawlessness, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm just my own person. I'm just going to live my own way. And then what happens is we become a law unto ourselves. And whatever's right in our eyes, whatever's right in our opinion is what becomes the right way. Okay, how's our attitude towards same-sex people? Do we not see them as lost? Do we not see them as deceived? And have compassion enough to pray against the veil that has blinded them? How is their attitude towards those caught up in perversion? Low living, low lifers who are enslaved to evil spirits and don't even know how to get out of the trap that they're in. How's their attitude towards them? And how is their attitude at offering time? 
Are you a cheerful giver or do you complain about the stewardship or do you judge all preachers and say all they want is my money? These are attitude problems that are often very, very deep-seated inside and, and, and it's a murmuring, an undertone that carries on that actually blocks the favor of God, blocks the provision of God, blocks the resources of heaven, blocks the faithfulness of God and blocks good things coming their way. And they don't even see it. And then, then we'll go to a few more. How's your attitude towards someone who went through a divorce that maybe caused great pain or heartache and disappointed to the spouse, children, and family, and even other loved ones, the mamas, the daddy, the grandma, the grandpa, because there's so much intertwined. And you see them as losers. You write them off and then speak about failures. And how's their attitude towards the poor? Do you judge them generically as lazy takers, neighbors, don't want to work, or maybe that they just had one bad break after the next? Many people are left in situations that oftentimes was not their decision or choice, but because somebody else made a wrong choice and decision, and they're left to pick up the mess. And so if you stereotype them, what's the attitude behind? Boy, it's really quiet in here. Let me get to the root of where I want to go right now. How's your attitude towards one another of different ethnicities, backgrounds, different colors? Is it that sees everyone, and I mean this, everyone with glory and honor as a crown upon their head? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Come on. What is when I look at the sun, I look at the, I look at the stars, and then God says, and what is man that thou art mindful of him? I've crowned them with glory and I've crowned them with honor. And it says nothing of their ethnic background. It says nothing of the color of their skin. It says mankind. Do we honestly as a church see one another crown with glory and crown with honor? Because if we don't, then we have to look at our hearts. And we got to look at what's going on inside of our hearts in these areas. And let me just go a little bit even further there. How's our attitude towards Justin Trudeau? How about Catherine Wynne, okay? Now, I believe this here. I don't agree, and I want to be very sensitive here with many of the policies that they are making in our land because I can see the policies are going to affect me, they're going to affect my children, they're going to affect our church, and they're going to affect generations, but the moment that you and I pick up the character assassination and assassinate the character of the person, then we've crossed some lines in the spirit. And we've come up and we're not doing all things. I, think, I, I just feel right now we need to make a, a, a statement of repentance. I didn't even do this. Let's all stand right now. And if you feel there's any area maybe you've crossed the line in, and you've gotten into that sway, raise your hand right now and just put them up right now. And just Let's just all put them up. Heavenly Father, come on, say it. Heavenly Father, thank you for grace, but thank you for mercy, and thank you for forgiveness. Forgive me for any character that I've assassinated with my words, with my opinions, and with my actions. And forgive me for swaying even others to character assassination of individuals that I don't agree with, but yet they still have a crown of glory and honor on their head. God be merciful to me today 
in Jesus' name. In the Bible, there was a man that was very humble. There was a man that paid attention to the people that he served. There was a man that cared about his people that he was over. And his name was Moses. It's a man that had a good track record. We know his life. We know that he had a short temper. The Bible records his faults as well as his successes. But he cared about the people that he was over. And God used him to deliver them. And there was a man that actually inspired the inner circle around this man, Moses, and they were all leaders. And he inspired them with a discontented spirit. And Moses listened to them but didn't agree with everything they were saying, just like his own brother, Aaron, and his own sister, Miriam, had an opinion about the wife that he married. Come on. And guess what? God had no problem with it, but they had a problem with it. And you know what? The Bible says they're murmuring in discontentment. God was angry with them. Matter of fact, you read the Bible, what it actually says. He said, put that woman out of the camp. Moses went and stood in intercession. He said, even the others, when they do wrong, like, put her out of the camp for a week and let her experience some things. And leprosy came on her. Come on. I mean, that's another whole message I don't have time to develop. So how many know the discontentment had spread and God vindicated Moses? In the same respect, what I've learned, what I've learned on this area, so Korah came up with Abiram and Dathan, and three of them all joined in the conspiracy against Moses. And not only that, they brought in 250 other chief leaders in all the nation. Can you hear me? So in other words, these leaders were not content with Moses' leadership, and yet it's said that he paid attention to them, he had a heart for them, the people were happy with him, but they became discontented with him, and they wanted him out. And it says the rebellion and the lawlessness that they actually had, they spread it to 250 chief captains. So this was not a little insurrection. And then what happened out there, Moses stood up, and he said, guys, we're going to find out who God's, who's on God's side. I believe what you guys are doing is wrong, but you believe you're vehemently right, so let's just go and let God be the judge. And so guess what? They went out, and interesting enough, you can read, and I want everybody watching by live streaming and in the church to read the whole chapter of number 16. Because people don't believe in hell. People don't believe in this here life after death. They don't believe in there. Well, just read number 16, and the Bible actually says they all came out. And they came out with their censors for prayer, and they were religious people. And they came out, one reason, man, we're going to get rid of Mo. And God shows up on the scene, come on, and guess what happened? Read it in, in Exodus 16, read it. It said the earth opened up and fire came up and it swallowed the 250 with all their families into the grave. Hell's in the belly, I believe, of the earth, okay? And it swallowed them all up at the same And the people were petrified after that app. Why did that all come? Why did because it all started with discontent, murmuring, and complaining. And if we don't understand this simple law as a church today, that that releases the enemy into your life. 
the discontentments and the murmuring and complaining about your spouse and your, your church, your workplace, your employees, your neighbors, your neighborhood, what you have or what you don't have, that murmuring and complaining is an invitation to the enemy to come and have a legal right to destroy and to steal from your life. Des, our Kim, is going to act this out right now because the reality is, the reality is, the Bible says 25,000 were destroyed in the attempt in one shot. And that murmuring says it's an invitation to the destroyer to take you out. And if you haven't guarded it, and I haven't guarded it, that murmuring spirit is everywhere in our culture and society today. And let me just tell you something else as we hit 2017 into it now. It's the greatest hindrance to revival is the murmuring spirit. It's characterized by criticalness, judgmentalism, and all those isms is the biggest push-off to the generation at hand. They're going to act this out. I got a closing word. If you don't have communion elements, the usher will get that for you. No way. No. What is it? I need you to drive me to Staples right away. At this hour? Yes, I got a stupid project due tomorrow and it has to be on stupid Bristol board, but I don't even have any. Sorry, sweetheart, your dad's at work and he has the car. <sighs> That's not even fair, Mom, come on. Oh, and Colleen, listen, I need you to drive me to the store right away. Right now? I don't even think it's open anymore. Uh, yeah, it is, look. I still have 10 minutes. Don't just stand there. Help your kid out. Me? This is not my project. But you're my mom. And you have to help me. Because that's what moms do. They help their kids. Come on. If you don't help me, I'm going to be sent to the principal's office. And if I get sent to the principal's office, I'm going to be expelled. Wait a minute. Expelled for one incomplete project? Yeah. I think you are blowing things way out of proportion. Oh, no, I'm not. You don't know my principal. Man, he's mean. He's merciless. I mean, no kid has ever stepped into his office and come out alive. <laughs> Andrea, now seriously, how can a loving mother send her sweet, adorable, straight-A student to the principal's office? I'm not sending you anywhere. Yes, you are, Mom. You are. And I know why you're doing it, too. Because you don't even love me. You don't care about me. You want me to fail. You, you want me to be punished. I don't want any of those things for you. Then why won't you help me? Sweetheart, I gave you ample opportunity. <sighs> Remember, on Friday, I asked if you wanted to go to Staples. And you said you were too busy. I was busy. And then on Saturday, I asked if you wanted to go to the dollar store. And you said you were too busy. I was busy. And then this morning. This morning, you guys took off and went to church, and you both left me behind. I think you were too busy sleeping. Yeah. Well, did anybody even try and wake me up? Yes. yes. OK, well, I was really tired. I just thought I had more time. 
I really, really, really thought I had more time. Aunt Colleen, please, 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 will you come to school with me tomorrow, please? Oh, sorry, kiddo. The idea of standing in the principal's office really, really creeps me out. Fine. Then I'm not even going to go to school tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to stay home. Let's see him try to expel me from here. Thanks. <laughs> oh, sweetheart. I don't think it works that way. What? Welcome to my office. No! No way! I'm not supposed to be here! I purposely slept in this morning! I didn't want to be at school today! Mom! Wow. <clears throat> Tied it all right in, didn't it? But I'd really like to have everybody join together as family. And uh, to hear this today, raise your hand. Just, just ra raise your hand, swing it up. As a matter of fact, if you really need it to hear it, just stand up. Just if you really need it to hear it. Just, just stand up. If you didn't, it's okay, okay? I started off that way, remember? Heavenly Father, as we break bread together to, as family, help us start this year with the right track. Help us to be sensitive to the snares the open doors that the enemy is trying to get in in all of our lives. Help us to be wise as serpents, but yet gentle as doves. We recognize we need you. And so, God, if we've been complaining about things even that are rational and make a lot of logic, forgive us. For mind is overly tuned towards noticing the flaws in things and in people activities, and even others' ideas. Forgive us. If even inconsequential flaws in something will ruin it for you, we have time to see the bigger picture. Forgive us. If someone suggests something that we're really quick to point out why it won't work and why it's a bad idea, rather than just giving a little time, forgive us. If we see a flaw in something and you just have to speak about it. You feel a little rush, like you're winning. Forgive us. If other people are talking about the positive aspects of something, and you have this urge to say, and you get, yeah, but. Forgive us. And sometimes, sometimes aspects of the world get under our skin, and we have to rant about them to anyone who will listen. Forgive us for the garbage trucks. And finally, help us to avoid negative situations from giving in. They are the greatest destroyers of confidence and boldness. Help us to surround ourselves with people who will bring out the best in us. And Father, we ask for the mercies of Jesus in his name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.